The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. If you look at your watch, you know it's your favorite time of the day. It's Tuesday. It's Muse Day. No, it's it's Tunday. Is you you do this every time, and not for most of the world, right? But if you're in the financial industry, it's Tunday because that's what happens when you take a day off on Monday for the markets, and then you have to cram everything into four days instead. So what does Tuesday become? A, a ton, ton more. Day. Yeah. So it's a ton day, and you are listening to the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, David Littlejohn. With me in studio, as always, Miss Katie Shuck. All right. And I should say Mrs. I'm not a Miss. I'm actually married, Mrs. Katie Shuck. If Except I'm- if you say Ms., don't you? Isn't that like the equivalent of like both now? I don't know. Not Miss, Ms. Does it? Yeah, I thought so. All right, I I will let you know next week. We'll have to go ask Ms. Manners how that works out, right? (laughs) So we've got a guest in studio today. Uh, He's made the long journey, been on a, a plane and then in a car and all over the place because you just couldn't wait to get to Roseburg, Oregon, right? That's correct. All right, so on and Seth, you're uh, you're joining us from from Southern California, Riverside. Okay, Riverside, California. Now don't hold it against him; he's a good dude. Hey, that's my <laughs> old neck of the woods. You'd be nice. You guys like me a little bit. It's a true story. It's a true story. So we only import the good ones. That's how that works. Right. Uh, <laughs> We, it's a little, it's a little California joke for Oregonians. All get that one. I see. Got <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've been, you've now been victimized by my tasteless humor. Uh, so we've got a. Here's the fun thing about today, right? So has anybody looked at the markets, up or down? What? No. How'd they finish today? <laughs> no, I have not. I was in the plane. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna guess up. No, no, they were down just a little <laughs> bit, but really not that interesting. Okay. I mean, all, like, all-time highs on Friday, so we gave up a little bit, and and just the indexes. It was still so kind of a mixed So when you say not that bag. interesting, I'm assuming it's like less than 1%. 0.3, like, yeah. Fractional. What I mean is it's not that interesting because the story is the same again and again. It's like, oh, and the markets went to all-time highs, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, is it going to crash? What do you think, Anand? Is it going to crash? Well, uh, no, I don't think it's going to crash. Because you there can you have go. an opinion, right? Because I have the crystal ball. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Katie, is it going to crash? Well, it's going to go down at some point, but crash is a big word. Right. And like, my, crash my re- makes it sound like it's just going to like you know explode and burn up and like never happen again. I don't like that word. Let, let me put it this way. I had a really interesting conversation with a gentleman uh, back east today who is a, c- a contractor and works in concrete. And we were talking a, a little bit about the real estate markets. And he was saying, you know, the thing is, you can still buy an existing structure for cheaper than you can build one. And he said, well, don't you think that means that there's still going to be a bid in this market? And I'm going somewhere with this. You'll see, right? And I said, well, here's my question. Okay. Uh, Can incomes keep up with the price? Because I think the fact that it costs more to build than to buy is an indicator. But is that really what makes supply and demand change? It's a good question. I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. And so my take on this one is that 
when consumer incomes can no longer keep up with the price increases, demand will fail and price will adjust. Right, because it has to correct itself. Otherwise, what's it yes. going to do? Right, it has to. Now, there are lots of factors that can influence that. Uh, if you are paying attention, we have a global economic summit going on right now. All right, bonus points. Anybody knows where it is? No. Is it Davos? Yes, Davos, Davos, but in Switzerland, right? Switzerland, yep. So uh, you get countries from all over the world bringing their economists together to talk about the global economy. Yes. And uh, Wow, that room must stink from all the brain power. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, the discussions that are coming out, but the, the general tone is that uh, there's concern that global economic expansion is happening at either a slow pace or a slightly contracting pace. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So why do I bring this up? I bet you have a really excellent point. Well, it goes back to the housing market, right? Uh, one of the, what's a major influencer of a, a, a person's ability to purchase a home that's not their income? The interest rate? Correct. Mm -hmm. It's exactly it, yep. right? Interest rates are a huge factor because it's what we call the cost of capital. Right. Because if and? it's too expensive to loan, then people aren't going to take out as many loans. Right. And and I'm, I'm going to clarify that a little bit because right. I like the language you used. But for our for our listeners, there's an interesting twist to that. It, the, it's not that it's expensive to loan. It's expensive to borrow. It, yeah. The cost of capital is to the borrower. How much interest must one pay to access money? And then, of course, there's the lending standard. That has to do with the risk to the lender, right? right. What What are the qualification standards and how do they price? So, so how does a, a bank, for example, determine the price of a loan? There's really two things. Well, it's your credit history is obviously one. Right? Okay, so I mean, that's certainly and, – and I'm getting to a more global than that. Even. Oh, I You're see, right that the, the credit In, history – Individually. Well, the credit history is, is a, an absolute component, but what are they really assessing with credit history? Your – like responsibility with money. Yeah, it's the risk that back. they're taking to, right. to loan it to you. They're, they're, they're assessing the risk of the borrower. Right. Yes. And then what's the other contributing factor? This one is way less complicated than you think it is. Your income? Nope. The economy? Nope. No. <laughs> How much can they get? Oh, right? I, I mean, it's, a, yes. it's like as That's much true. as they can think get. About the bank and well, you not know, about you know, I'm from California. We don't ask those questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, but that's how businesses operate in in most cases. Is they are for profit institutions, and so it's a matter of the supply and demand. Is okay. Somebody is has a demand for this loan. We need to price it so that we appropriately for risk. But we also know that they have more than one place that they can go to borrow from. We can only gouge them so much before somebody will undercut us. So those are balancing factors, right? Competition True. and risk are the those two, and and, and that that influences supply and demand. If we have a global economy that's shrinking, does that put more wind behind the sails of of interest rates, or does it take wind out of the sales? Do you think rates go up or down based on the, the global, global economic contraction? Well, f at least previously, I've seen it just go down uh, to motivate the economy again, because obviously everybody thinks the housing is the engine uh -huh. behind the economy. So. I'm kind of with him. I would think it would. I would think it would. I, I think that you guys are right. Interestingly enough, I think it's a false correlation, too. Hmm. I don't know that interest rates go down b 
because of the economy shrinking, if borrower risk was increasing, then they wouldn't go down, would they? But what happens is we have central banks. That's right. And the central banks have an agenda. And they said, well, we will stand on the rate curve in one area or another to influence consumer behavior. So, uh, for example, the Federal Reserve here in the United States, what do they do if they want to raise interest rates? Right? They can they, reduce the supply they, they of they capital. They supply. Just kind of, yeah, yeah they, they tighten the money supply. If they want to lower rates to stimulate economic activity. They put more money out there. Yep. They, they put more money in the system. And they can do it two primary ways. So if you're talking about them standing on the interest rates and kind of like, doesn't that go back into like more of an oligopoly? Like we were talking about multiplayers kind of banding together to influence the market. I mean, it's not really an oligopoly, but I, I'm, I I'm think kind of wondering how, am I reaching on that one a little bit? I, I, I mean, do you understand kind of where I'm coming from though? It's like, if, yeah, because because I write, big... I beat this drum all the time. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm big on, uh, but see oligopolies to me, remember that's sort of uh, businesses colluding to act like monopolies. But that kind of sounds like you're, like what you're the doing. central banks are doing is what you're the saying. Yeah, it sounds central like the central banks, banks are kind of doing that. Like they're all standing together, going, "Hey, let's." Oh, central let's do banks this. are. Uh, uh, it's not that it's direct collusion intentionally, but they all have to play together to make the system work. And there's temporary dislocations. But if you let your currency get too dislocated, things melt down. Just ask Venezuela, right? I mean, right. They, they have this right. radical inflation where their currency is almost worthless. So that. That creates a whole different problem when your central bank says, I'm not going to play ball. We're just going to print our way out of this. And everybody goes, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. right? And then they just sort of abandon you. So everybody has to coordinate efforts a little bit. Uh, the United States gets a ton of influence because we're still the world's reserve currency and because we have a really big stick. It's true. That's right. We like to walk around <laughs> with it That's as right. well. That works. Are now, we like in a forever game of pinata or what? Like it's, it's the guy in the middle with the biggest stick, right? Well, the like, biggest stick is, the, is we'll kind of a you know, reference to our military capability. Um, but there are two other countries that have really big sticks right now that folks, we, we all know about them, but we don't talk about it the same yes. way. It's not a military stick, though. If you think about it, the two big countries I'm thinking of are China and India. India, yeah. And why are they big? Population. Just population. Mass, yeah, it's just masses. tons of people, right? Yep. And so you look at that and go, this is a huge potential consumer block and a huge potential monetary control block that over time should exert more and more influence on the global economy. And that's just a, sh a sheer numbers game. Yes. Right? I, I will add one thing about the U.S. that also they have is credibility. Um, you know, when outside countries are looking at putting their money safely somewhere, they're looking at the U.S. because there's systems and processes and credibility which does not exist in you know other countries, China, right. India, right. there's not a that level of trust. Right. So it's the faith that, and credit. But factor, that comes at right? a price, though, because it's not. I mean, things tend to be more expensive here as well. Oh, that we're. I didn't even want to go into that because there's so many layers to what causes things to be so expensive in the United States. Most of it is self-induced. No, it's right? true. You know, and and most of it we're okay with. Believe it or not, like you want clean water and air standards and you want to have roads where people know to drive on one saddle end or the other, <laughs> you know, and so you, what you're saying is you've been to my trip to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been to a few places in the world and I've seen where, uh, you know, traffic signals are optional 
and he they're, with the loudest <laughs> oh, horn yes. wins. So I feel like it's like the pirate code, right? They're I, more like guidelines than I was, actual rules. I was born in Africa, and I have drank water that looks like mud So and had no electricity. So I, yeah. I would pay for clean water and consistent oh. electricity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is Absolutely. where oh, yeah. I tell folks I'm, I'm fairly libertarian in my leaning, and I'm a fiscal conservative, but I am okay paying some taxes because I like common infrastructure and the investment is way cheaper. I'm, I'm pro-education. Now, I'm not sloppy about how those dollars get spent, but I'm pro-education because investing in our future workforce does two things. It makes us more productive and it keeps people out of jail. That's just statistics. Mm-hmm. Well, right? I'm, not, I'm not making a racial comment or anything. I'm just saying educating our people, by and large, a really good thing. No, absolutely. And it gives you a better caretaker when you're officially retired. <laughs> yeah, when it's my turn, <laughs> right? I want somebody I want to make sure to whoever's taking care of me. And they're caretakers for the American economy as well. Right. Absolutely. So uh, anyway, and so I didn't mean to get necessarily in the weeds about this, but I think it's fascinating to have this mental exercise about the way the economy fits together. And because people are asking, what was the original question, right? Well, well is, is it going to crash? Is the stock market going to crash? Yeah. Is the stock market going to crash? And my whole point to this is, what we have today doesn't look like 2008. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, are housing prices almost back to 2008 levels? I think so. They're yeah, pretty close. and in yes. some areas, maybe above that. Yes. Uh, is the cost of capital the, the same or lower than it was in 2008? Should be, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, are we building it at the same pace? Mm. Eh, maybe not, but close. We're... So we're close to 2008 levels, but do we have the same underpinnings to the financial system? I, I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. No, I mean, I don't, don't see people just borrowing money to borrow money and betting on stuff like I felt like they were back then. It was like, oh, I can just buy a house and I'll flip it next month and it'll be okay. And not really playing the long game, only playing the short game. Yeah, well, it was the bigger fool theory. We, that's a whole other subject, too. But look, we're, gonna, we're running a little long on the first segment. So let's grab a break. Uh, on the flip side, we're going to come back, and I want to talk a little bit more about the behind-the-scenes stuff, Okay, but not just the economy now. We're going to get into behind-the-scenes on the financial industry, uh, and, and we have the experts to go there. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Shuck. And Anand. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, David Littlejohn, and we've got a whole pile in studio today. If you were just joining us, don't. It's like a dog pile. There's only three of us. It's not that many. <laughs> it's not that big a studio. Uh, look, if you're just joining us, check out the podcast, right? It's available at littlejohnfs.com. You can get it on iTunes and a number of other places as well, and you can cover some of the fun. Uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, the economy at large. We were teasing about the you know stock markets at all-time highs. Is it are we due for a crash? And really, it's sort of my opinion that we don't look like 2008. Now, are we closer to our next 
bear market than we were yesterday? Probably. Uh, duh. Yes, we're closer yes today than we were yesterday. So there will come a day when that happens. But do we know when? No. No, no we don't. Uh, and do we think it's going to be our politicians that cause it? Uh, probably not. I mean, unless they do something really dumb and systemic, which could happen. But at the pace they're moving now, I'll believe it when I see it. But you, you, you brought up this question, Katie, and I think it was it's really kind of clever what's going on underneath it. It was a very simple and innocuous question in our last segment. But More you have a comment than anything well, but, else. Well, I guess but you said, but everything's yeah, so everything expensive. Yeah, everything seems so expensive. Now, I mean, by show of hands, except for you that are driving right now, <laughs> how many people think that life has just gotten doggone expensive? Right? Yeah, I mean, my I hands have. up yeah, in studio. Right, We yeah. all got our hands up. It's, it's expensive. And uh, everybody in studio here, we've all got kids. Right. Yes. And so we know life is just expensive. Well, it's expensive because uh, we chose to have children. <laughs> I think it would have been expensive either way. The kids just suck everything. No, I, no, they're worth it. It's great. But uh, it's life's expensive now. It is. <coughs> well, there's extra there's extra expenses that either our parents didn't have or definitely our grandparents didn't have. Right. Like cell phones. It almost feels these days like you can't live without one. No, you can. I know you can. You can, but, but it's... I, I tried going. We we switched over to a flip phone for about eight, nine months. I thought with, you were going to say eight or nine my, minutes. No, with my <laughs> wife. And uh, that was an interesting experience because I ended up having to call people for directions and things. So, yeah, it was inefficient. So you're absolutely right. I it's, think phone, cell phones are now a necessity part for us. In the U.S. Yeah. specifically, and I'm not going to talk about other countries, but in the U.S. specifically, it almost feels like if you don't have a cell phone, it's very hard to conduct a lot of the business that we transact these days. Yes. My my simple observation on this one is it's not that the cell phone in and itself is magic. But it's, it's the a, convenience. Well, it's the expectation of productivity, right? It's just an expectation that information is instantly available now. And if it isn't to you, while it is possible, it is not advisable to be slower than everybody else at accessing that information. Right. So the cell phone is a facilitator of productivity, and we live and die by that sword in this country. True. Right? I mean, yeah. people do not like to talk about it as such, but productivity is not optional. That is a requirement in order to survive, and this is absolutely relevant to our point. Why are things so expensive? And Anand, I kind of yeah. wanted to give you – I wanted to ask you a couple of questions sure. about this. Uh and the reason being is because, you know, you've we have a, an interesting parallel history. I mean, we both started in the financial industry really similar time in our career. We're similar in age, similar in, in many experiences. But but you Peer group, you left the financial industry in a sense, or at least you left being directly involved. Right. I did about six months ago. So okay. why, don't you, yes. why don't you give our listeners a quick backstory <laughs> before David gets into his question? Yeah. Let people know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I. I started similarly with David uh, almost two decades ago, and I have literally done, I've, I've told people, I've done everything from serving coffee to clients to sitting in front of high net worth business individuals doing complex investment and insurance strategies, throwing compliance, investment trading, investment portfolio creation. So, so um, a wide experience in every element of a financial advisory practice. Yeah. And... Um, is it fair for me to say that over the last two decades, the industry has changed a fair amount? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we, we used to have uh, accounts that we were opening with paper. Some of them still do, but 
Um, then we would have to mail them regular mail, and they get lost in the mail. And now a lot of that has changed. A lot of it can be done by scanning it in the computer or just electronically. So yeah, drastic yeah. changes. And I don't know about you, but I've seen a real evolution of the way the practice itself happens, the interaction with clients, what the expectations are, the level of sophistication mm -hmm. of many of the clients yes. has improved because, again, access to information. Yes. The transparency in the industry, I think, is at an all-time high. Yep. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, however, I will say that the sophistication level is simultaneously at an all-time high when you consider some of the strategies that are involved, especially because of the way the insurance marketplace and the derivatives marketplace operate, super, super sophisticated products that are now available uh, that probably most professionals don't understand, let alone the layman. Yes. So yeah. uh, I've seen a lot of that. Now, I am curious, why did you leave the financial industry? Um, I left mainly because I have um, a penchant for trying to make everything more efficient and financial advisory practices with everything that they have to do is so expensive and they have to keep hiring people uh, just so that they can meet the next requirements that are coming from either regulations or company policies or what have you. Um, and I saw that we can probably bring in good technology to make life easier for financial advisors, but also deliver to the clients uh, a much better experience overall. So that's what I embarked on. All right, okay, so, so using technology, better client experience. Those are the two high points. I heard better I heard. advisor experience too in there, yes, I think. better there advisor experience. So it's, I'm, I'm translating here a little bit. You didn't really leave the financial industry, you left being uh, on An the advisor. provider side of the financial industry because you're yes. now talking about fintech. Yes. Okay. So for our listeners, fintech is just uh, kind of like it sounds, it's financial technology and that's just the buzz term of the day. Uh, it can be, It's typically associated with software. Just so everybody's aware, fintech is not typically a hardware solution. It's software and it's software that's designed to do things that will aid the user, and I use that term loosely because the user can be either a consumer, mm -hmm. a prosumer, right, which is sort of a really specialized still consumer level, or the professional industry itself. And in the professional industry is really, there's hierarchies within the professional industry yes. too. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I want you two to kind of talk to the fact that, um, you know, it's not that there's not a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of technology, but like nothing really talks well or plays well with others. Like everybody kind of wants to have that proprietary it's like you know we have our special blend and we'll 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 slowly talk but so, nobody ever like links together right? yeah so I'll, I'll give a little background to the listeners um, most financial advisory practices use usually anywhere from 13 to 17 different technology software products guilty you know i'm trying to th i'm um, now counting in my head yeah, right? yeah, as no, he's watching guilty. me yeah. like wait my, am i Microsoft have to take off the Excel shoes being our favorite one uh, but then there's all, all sorts of other investment research. Right, because there's CRM and, and there's yeah, performance absolutely. data and absolutely. there's trading data. Absolutely. And, and what, what all those softwares end up doing is they're trying to make the life efficient for the financial advisor. But because they're serving every financial advisor the same way, they throw all tools and they make it super more complicated. So us behind the scenes, KDU and formerly me, 
would bang our heads <laughs> trying to make the technology work to do what we wanted to do. Right. right? And well, I hear David, which who loves to create systems, by the way, he's like, why can't this just talk to this? And I'm like, because they don't speak the same language. Yes. And there's a privacy Yet. and security issues, right? That's so. that's really what it comes down to is right. how, how do you exchange data between vendors in a way that protects the privacy and confidential data of the customer? Yeah. Right. And it's not that easy when the system it has to leave one system to go to another. Then every time you hand off the football, there's an opportunity for a fumble. Yes, yeah. And and also a lot of technology were built on old technology. Um, yeah. You know, even 20 years ago, I would consider old with what the new technology now can do so much more faster. But because it was old technology, the new technology cannot easily talk with the old technology without a lot of magic happening behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. AKA translation. So you've uh, stumbled your way into becoming a software guy. Yes, I have. <laughs> now, but but we've talked. So you're not actually a coder per se. I mean, you probably had to learn some by just sheer necessity. So um, actually, what Katie was saying, you know, why um, I've jumped into it, I have coded myself. In yeah. fact, this software that we're just going to be releasing, I had coded the baby version of that, you know, previously. Um, so I was coding, and in fact, I coded when I was 12, 13, and sold my first software then. So, But I'm not a coder today, according to all the new people, because it's completely different languages. Right. Uh, so I don't, I don't code today. And that's actually, so going back to a little bit of how he ended up from Riverside, California to here in Roseburg, <laughs> yes. is he called our office. Right and kind of well, said, I think, hey, I, 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 think no, I reached you on no, Twitter no. first. Yeah, yeah. David, uh, David reached out because I made he some made some smart, cryptic some tweet. smart comment or something. Oh, on David in your Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm not on there very frequently, believe it or not. It was quite serendipitous, but I was in a search for a, a different contact management system because for our clientele, I really there are things that every firm should be able to do. And not every firm can do it very well at all. It's it's you, we take it for granted. But imagine I want I just want a simple reminder when my clients' birthdays are. I can't remember everybody's birthday. It's not that I don't care. I care enough to want to know. But how do you get a system that will automatically remind you? And people are like, well, just write on the calendar. It's like, well, it's kind of what we end up doing. But then what about their anniversary? We'll just write that on the calendar. So pretty soon my calendar is going to run out of room. And by the way, our calendar already looks like Skittles threw up. Like you do not need extra color codes and extra information in there. It's, that... it's a ton of stuff. And so the idea is about just like in manufacturing, they had what they call just-in-time delivery. Okay, so you don't inventory parts anymore. You know, Amazon will bring it to you. So you, when you need it, it arrives in time to be put into manufacturing. Well, why can't we do that with data? Right? Can't, why can't we have software systems that will deliver the things as you need them and kind of hide them when you don't? And some of them do some of it, but the problem is there's so many layers to so many systems, and they really are disintegrated. Yes. And I don't see a solve for that coming anytime soon unless you go to an environment. And th this is the flip side of the business, right? You can get into a different business model, right? So us at Little John Financial, we're an independent business model. Do you know what that means? We get to pick uh, the stuff. Yes. Well, yeah, it means that we represent our clients and then we hire the other systems with which to 
to do the work for our customer. And if those systems fail for whatever reason, we can replace them with something else. We're not captive to the systems. So we exist independent of those systems to operate for our customer base. If you go to work for a large financial institution, and I'm not picking on an institution by by saying this, let's let's use, uh, this is a competitor to us, but I, I mean zero disrespect when I share this. Let's say you go to a place like Edward Jones. Edward Jones is the company, they have Edward Jones systems, they actually have Edward Jones color schemes, Edward Jones furniture, so there are lots of things that are standardized, so the client experience is similar across all branches of Edward Jones. Right. Now, your advisor and the relationship you have with them is unique, right? That personality and what they know about you is unique. But they have a yes. brand standard. But they use all the same systems for every office. If the advisor wanted a different system, they would have to leave Edward Jones. And if they did, you would still be a client of Edward Jones. You would have to find the advisor somewhere else and transition your accounts. Right. Because your relationship is with the firm and the advisor is a registered representative of Edward Jones. Correct. So that's not an independent relationship in that sense. Now, I want to be very clear. We're there's not nothing dogging that on there's them. nothing wrong with that relationship structure. It's just that there are policies and procedures that are going to be set at a top executive level, and they will filter their way through the the, the system. system yeah. And so they're going to get the technology solutions that they get. And they might be able to grab a few things on the side, but by and large, it is standardized across all systems. And I use the example, it's like going into the military and everybody wears the same uniform. Mm-hmm. Okay, The independent group is more like going into the military and then getting thrown into a special forces unit and sent out in a covert environment where you're wearing street clothes and you have, <laughs> you know, you don't have to have a short haircut or anything. You just do what you got to do to accomplish the mission. I'm going to use that next time. Okay. Well, it's, he has a lot of great ones. So it's it's not that one is more important than the other. They're just different. Right. OK. And so we chose the independent path for a reason. We wanted to assemble our own tools and so forth and sometimes clients have come to us and we've had to actually go find the tool that for the thing that they want like if we didn't have it in our quiver away we went for it's, arrows. it's true so there you go high level on and i'm realizing we did it again where we're getting long right so what we're going to do we'll grab a break because they make us but then we're going to come back and we'll talk more about some fun stuff here because i want to talk about how you're solving a big problem that i think is important when it comes to price and our customers always want to know, what does it cost? So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Anand. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio, Radio Show. Show. You still want the jingle? I just want the jingle. I don't know what it is about a jingle. All I right. Like jingles. So send us an email at info at littlejohnfs.com with your best jingle. 
Okay, and Katie will sing it on the radio next week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know if they want. I'm going to tune in from Riverside. You there you should. go. We we you got should. this. Uh, so I've so Anand, I've got a question for you. Yep. I want to. I want to know since you left the financial services industry. Yes. But I shouldn't say you left financial services. He left as being a provider. An advisor. Yeah, you, yeah. You stopped being an advisor, and you've gone into fintech. Yes. Uh, so you still have a dog in this fight a little bit. Absolutely. But I'm I'm really curious about your your thoughts on this. Do you think somebody should hire a financial advisor? Absolutely. Um, here's here's an example I'll give you. You know, a lot of a lot of times you can do a lot of this on your own, especially now. You have YouTube videos. You have Google. You can search the answers all day long and figure this out. A couple of things that I have noticed over two decades. Um, if you're doing that, you're not spending time with your family. So that's one. There you go. That's wise advice. You know. Secondly, um, you may catch some things, but this world is so complex that there's other moving parts that you may miss, uh, and that's important. So I'll give you an example. When I was an advisor, there was a client of mine that actually left employment uh, as a W-2 employee and went as a solo business person. So they lost the 401k option. There was no more for them. Um, had I not been there, they would have never known that, hey, they can do what's called a solo 401k mm. and still contribute money, and it doesn't take that much effort to set one up and they were able to save money still in that plan. Um, you're not gonna, if you don't know what you don't know, like Donald Rumsfeld uh -huh. says. Oh, uh -huh, right? David's favorite One of my thing. faves, you one of my faves. Know you, you know, know, that, hey, how is, how is, how was he gonna search for a solo 401k? There was not gonna be an answer. So I believe everybody needs to have a financial advisor at a minimum, you know, go see them once or twice a year so that you can kind of get an idea of what's in your life happening, what can be better, and what, you know, is fine. Well, and let's let's hit on a couple things really quick. A, regulations keep changing, right? Absolutely. So even contribution limits have gone up and up and up over the last few years. Absolutely. Right. So if you don't know what the contribution is, limit is, you can either under-contribute because you have the yes. old one or over-contribute because you didn't yes. know what it was and be penalized. Yes. Um, so those are simple on, things. On that point, actually, uh, because I left six months ago, I haven't been paying much attention to everything that's happening from a regulations perspective. I've just heard about the SECURE Act, and I right. kind of know a little bit. But me, with the level of experience that I have, I don't know what's in the SECURE Act right. So and how that impacts me today. So I would go and get an advisor myself just because I don't want to spend the time uh, I could figure it out, but I don't want to spend the time figuring out all the little intricacies in the Secure Act, for example. And I know a guy if you need someone. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, and David, by the way, David has been hired, even for the DIYers, has been hired just for financial advice for someone to check his their homework. Yeah. So we've had DIYers come in and say, I think I got this right, but am I missing anything? Right. No, so absolutely. it's not that the advisor always has to be the person managing the money, although that's primarily what we do. And then I would say, too, it's, to me, it's like baking a cake, right? There's certain ingredients that you need to bake a cake, but there's chocolate and vanilla and confetti, and there's all sorts of stuff. And every advisor has their own cooking, right? Like, they all have their own recipe. So what happens if you watch a YouTube video and one person suggests one thing and somebody else contradicts it? Then whose advice do you take? Yeah. Well, here's you, – you snuck something in there again. I love the way you do this. Uh, that's the way my mind works. It's, 
Welcome there, to my head. When you said that you talk about how we make uh, we do a lot of investment management, and then the financial advising part is is sort of assumed to mean that we're just investment people. And this is the conversation I have often with folks is the the investment component is certainly a critical element because that's the engine that drives most financial plans. You know, right. you're, you're trying to get your money to work for you. But a financial advisor should be able to add more value than just the investments. I mean, I have to say that in that respect, the, the robo-advisors of the world, which are these sort of automated investing programs, they're, it's not like they're bad. They're just incomplete. Oh, because I have a great you don't, example for this one. Okay, well, but let, does the, the yeah, point, yeah. I'm, I'll wrap it up here, is that when you when you're working with a financial advisor you should be getting the other elements brought into play so the tax components and your the your time horizon your risk appetite the disposition of your family the relationships you have your value systems those actually all come into play and are reflected in how you design and utilize your resources so it's not just about the investments but that's often all people see they see it as this is a price transaction on how low of a cost can I pay to buy investments? To which, if you want to do it yourself, you can get it for next to nothing. It's all the other stuff that you're overlooking. But you also accept all the liability and all the risk. And a lot of the technology assumes everybody is exactly the same, which they're not. And my example that I was going to bring up, so glad that you mentioned taxes, because tax season's coming up. We knew somebody that called us and said, oh, crap, I'm going to owe all this money in taxes this year. What happened? The computer assumed, right? So they were a do-it-yourself tax person. The computer assumed the cost basis was zero. Yeah, they didn't enter their cost basis. They didn't basis. enter their cost yeah. basis. Yeah. And all so, of a sudden, they thought they had this mega tax bill. And we're they, not tax advisors, but even we could look at that and go, yeah. well, there's your problem. And by the way, <laughs> we're able to save. I mean, it thousands. Was th- thousands. Oh, easily. And and you, you're able to make better decisions uh, because you have a now oh, wait a minute, the cost basis was not updated. Right. Let's update it to the right thing, and now let's look at the scenario. Well, and the hilarious thing is the IRS was not about to tell them. No. Oh, right? No. If they overpay their taxes, the IRS is not running to you being like, oh, guess what? You didn't enter your cost basis correctly. They're just going to go, Thanks for oh, the check. Okay. Yeah. So it's- you know, if they overcharge you, they'll tell you. But if you overpay them, <laughs> they're not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad. So, I'm, But that was a great example of technology. Technology is there to help you. And if everything's the same then that's one thing but people make assumptions that everybody's the same and they're not there's right. such unique situations i mean we talked about being a peer group we're all about the same age we all have children and yet our unique situations are completely different correct our taxes do not look identical correct. and we are not going to file them the same way right so there's you know just going into financial advice there's not a cookie cutter advice that everybody can get and no, that's kind of where the YouTube thing comes in. It's cookie yeah. cutter advice for everyone. No, and that, and that's kind of why you know I left the industry um, because I figured out that we need to be able to do a better job as financial advisors, communicating the value we're bringing to the client. I think as an industry we have done you know an okay job, and I think we can do a lot better by letting the clients know here's the value we've provided, and that's you know, uh, just the segue basically on why I have shifted to creating the software that enables the advisors and the teams to easily communicate to the clients. And the clients are better educated. You know, I have received thousands of phone calls after meetings from advisors. They meet with the clients saying, wait a minute, you know, there's like five things discussed. 
uh, we forgot four. We remember one. What was the other, you know, four? So, uh, so. I totally want to use this. So I want, can I ask you about yeah, the software? Absolutely. Good. Because I want to do that, but we have to take our last break. So we're going to do the whole music thing. And when we come back, I want to help uh, our listeners understand why is this so important and what how is it relevant to them? It's, it sounds like it's just all about the advisor. It is not. This is all about you as a customer. So stick around and we're going to talk about that when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Anand. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. Thanks for tuning in on this Tunday, right? News Day. Tunday. News Day. This is like less filling, right? So, uh, <laughs> totally is. It's, it's because you have to get a ton done when you cram Monday into Tuesday because the markets were closed yesterday. We're going to put a Facebook poll and see who wants to call it Tuesday and who wants to call it Tunday. Yeah, fair enough. And we've also now totally marked the podcast as, well, you know what day it was. So, uh, <laughs> look, if you were just tuning in, we've covered a bunch. Check out the podcast. It's at littlejohnfs.com. Uh, we've got special guest. Anand is in studio with us, and we've been talking about uh, the fin- fintech in the industry and I wanted to just give you a chance here. So you've sure. you're, you've created this new software. Yes, I'm really excited about it because it's something we want to implement within our firm to upgrade the client experience. What are you doing? Sure. So um, with the two decades of the experience I have, what I've noticed is advisors want to always deliver better service to the clients. Bar none, most advisors that's what their goal is to do that. With the technology. Um, it puts a strain on the staff. Um, and also because our world is so complex, the advice is not that simple. We have compliance layer on top. So it's not as simple as David or Katie just after a meeting dropping a quick email to the client saying this is what we discussed. It has to be thought through. There's you know all of those well, elements. And just for the benefit of our listeners, compliance is a term that gets thrown around often in many industries. But for us, what it means is there's this regulatory requirement and a process of documentation that you need to go through. And we call that compliance. But it's all these regulatory hurdles that must be met in order to do yes. something. And it's really labor intensive to make all of that happen. And so when you have an opportunity to automate something or to streamline it with software, everybody's eyes kind of, you know, you, you perk up a little bit and you go, wait a second here. Yes. So I just want everybody to understand that yep. compliance is, it's quite a burden. It's it's a real pain in the neck. So let's talk yes. about that for a second. Because then you have, you know, say a client comes in and, and we're just doing this all hypothetically, but say a client comes in and meets with David, right? So David yes. takes a pen and paper out and writes down notes. Yep. Okay, well, those are great notes for him, but eight, are the notes thorough, right? Can somebody else read them or know what's going to do it? Where are they getting translated into? Who else in the office is going to see them? And then what other 
sorts of technology. We've been talking about technology. Does it need to get into to make whatever the client wanted happen in the first place? So there's multiple places in that chain of command that it could break. And what you're trying to do is solve that and say, no, we're going to put it all in one place. We're going to help everybody kind of talk to each other a little bit and make sure that we're all on the same page. Yeah, and use the same language so that you have a, you know, you could literally hire a junior person and have Katie, who's more experienced, do more, um, you know, uh, service, client level service and and set up more client face to face meetings with you. Right. So right. it's all about that. Ultimately, the goal of the software that we're doing is really enabling the advisor and the team to send out something to the client as a follow up that's in a black and white in a bullet point format. Here's what we talked about and here's what we're doing. That way it gives the clients the time to digest that after the meeting is done. When they go back home and, you know, they enter the noisy world, they're going to forget, you know, what they talked about. Everybody, all of us forget 50% of what we talk about within an hour. Oh, how many times have I been to the store and come home without the thing I went to the store to get? (laughs) Yeah, so... I but have you to write came it down. Home with twenty other items, I instead. must write it down. Oh no, I'll, I'll get all kinds of bonus action there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that was me last night in the grocery store. I think I circled it five times because I was like, "Oh crap, that's in the back of the store again." As I'm reading my list, right? So even trying to keep your own thoughts organized sometimes is really tricky. Yeah. yeah. And so, what David remembers from the meeting is not going to be necessarily what the client remembers from the meeting. Yes. Right. So that, making sure absolutely. both are Abs- synced together. Yeah, absolutely. In my compliance experience, I've. I've dealt with a lot of times where there's confusion just because of what one person said versus what was understood on the other side. I mean, that's just the nature. It's nobody's trying to do anything wrong. It's just the nature of the it world. It sounds like we a Venus in. versus Mars. Was it Venus versus Mars? Ma- Mars versus Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Men are from Mars yeah. and women are from Venus. Yeah. Whole conversation. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's what I like about it. We get to break it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. David, what do you mean when you say stuff like that? (laughs) Well, this has been something that's really fun for me personally. Uh, As our listeners probably know, I'm involved in some fintech operations as well. They're advisor-facing. They're research-driven. And so we have some artificial intelligence systems, and we actually have a neural network that we've created that looks at Fed data uh, to determine some of our uh, kind of big picture risk analysis, and then we have trading algorithms that we created that were so. So I'm I'm not a stranger to the concept of fintech, but what's happened is I've sort of slowly, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, courted relationships with other fintech because I want to use it. So uh, Anand has invited us to get involved and actually test the software early on, so that we can figure out where the Little little yeah. idiosyncrasies are so yes. we can tighten it up. This actually goes back to you talking about being an independent, right? Because right. we can create Absolutely. the system, we will find a way to break the system because we will go back to him and say, hey, this one little thing is missing. Can you tweak that or can you do that? And and by the way, you have now trained a cohort because Justin will also break systems. Yes. <laughs> so That's awesome. It's, yeah, there's not one of him, but two. <laughs> so to me, it's it's all part of, in the end, we do this. One, I, I guess I like gadgets, but... It's because if you're trying to seek the best client experience, then you have to be willing to kind of push the envelope a little bit in order to do that. And, and you're not going to do that in a, a super giant mega corporate, not because they're evil, despite what people may say, but because they are super giant mega corporate. They can't move that quickly and they have to keep their policies and procedures in place. Right. It's so like we, it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the oil, yeah, it's like the oil tanker. 
you know, yeah. uh, wanting to turn around, uh, it, it just can't. It has to take a But yet the speedboat. The speedboat can't. Well, and that's the idea. So we get the flexibility of being a boutique, but we get the resources behind us of all of these large uh, established firms that can provide what we need, and we get to kind of hire them and fire them at will. It's yeah, sort of and, the best of both and, worlds. And, and to me, ultimately, uh, giving you back time, that now you can actually take that and meet more clients face-to-face yes yeah. is, is what's amazing I, about I, those true wealth moments that's it well look speaking of moments we're running out now so uh i want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, as always katie how do they reach us 541-375-0898 we're all right. also on facebook and everywhere else you can find us all right you got it there gang so uh we appreciate you tuning in uh and like i said catch the podcast but until next time this has been david littlejohn katie shuck and anand and with you, pulse 360 all right we'll catch you next time the preceding program was paid for by littlejohn The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.